good morning to you. Uh, thank you so much again for being here with us. And, and uh, my name is Micah. I'm the associate pastor here at Parkwood Kings Mountain. And uh, Pastor Stephen, if you came usually any other week, you would hear him uh, preaching. Him and his wife are, are just out, just having rest. And uh, so, if you could just pray for your pastor. Uh, we're thankful for his leadership and, and everything he does for us here in, in our campus. Um, this week we're at Galatians 4, starting at verse 21. So uh, if you have your Bible, would you turn there with me? And as you're turning, uh, or if you're clicking, if you have an iPad, whatever else you have there, um, you should have two things with you. You should have an info guide and you should have a sermon notes. Info guide is going to tell you everything that's happened here this campus. Uh, sermon notes is going to allow you to hopefully follow uh, my crazy self uh, the next few minutes together. So if you're at Galatians 4, verse 21, would you stand with me uh, as for the reading of God's Word? It says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a Free woman, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, all barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. But just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. God, your word is freeing. It's life-giving. And Lord, we come before your presence at this moment. Not by anything on our merit, Lord, but only through the blood of Christ. Lord, I pray as we've already been singing, praise be to you. You are alone God of this universe. Lord, we thank you for being the God that saves, the God who calls people from death to life. Lord, my prayer for the next few minutes together, Lord, is that this this gospel of freedom, this message of free Liberty will be proclaimed, and God, that it will be heard, Lord, and I pray that Jesus will be seen more clearly. So, Lord, for those in the room who are bound to slavery and bondage of this world, Lord, I pray this day will be a day of freedom through the blood and work of Jesus Christ. So we pray all this in Jesus' name, asking that you will speak to us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I was like starting as a recap because uh, it's just good to know where we've came from and where we are now. And it's crazy that we're already in the middle of this Galatians series. It's, it just seems like yesterday we started and we're almost all the way through it. And if you're like me, Galatians is one of my favorite books of the Bible and it, it's affected me personally with my walk with Christ. And I pray that you've been encouraged through this time frame so far. 
But to, to reflect on last week, so we started at verses 8 through 20. And what we've seen was Paul's concern over the lives of the Galatian believers. So backstory of Galatians, Galatia churches were a newfound church. They had just recently put their trust in Christ. They accepted Paul's gospel. And here's the issue. These group, this, this small group called the Judaizers that we know as the day, they come into the Galatian church and they begin proclaiming a, a, a false gospel, a, a counterintuitive gospel that was not biblical, wasn't true. And this is what their formula was. It was Jesus plus keeping the law equals salvation. And we see, if you remember all the way through the back of Galatians, that is completely opposite of what Paul's gospel declares, which was received from heaven. Paul's gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. So this morning, salvation doesn't come by you keeping the law. Salvation comes only through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is our hope and our salvation this morning. And what we're seeing at the very beginning of this recap is that the Galatians were being tempted to a false message. And I want you just to hear the heart of Paul, last week, go to verse 11. It says, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Verse 19, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So we see that heart. They're worried about the Galatian souls here. And I just want to have some practical implications. What's that mean for us 2018 here in this sanctuary right now? We could take And say that to distort, hamper, or walk away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel, and fall back into any form of legalism or man-made attempt to be made right in God's eyes is in the same sense as if you are in slavery and you were brought out of that slavery, you were purchased and brought out of it, and in your freedom you said, I want to go back into that slavery. That makes no sense, does it? So why would you do that? So... That is the heart of where I want us to go for these next few minutes together in our passage today. And I want you to hear this message. If you have been saved by the grace of Christ, you are now free and must not return to slavery under the law. So let's start at verse 21. Again, it says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? So we have, again, biblical irony at its best. The Galatian church, they're hearing this, this from the Judaizers. I've got to keep the law to be made right in God's sight. And they're saying, well, I, I want to do that. I, I want to try to do that. And, and Paul is simply saying, you say you want to do everything the law demands, but you yourself do not even know what the law says. So I like, I like working out. I, I love it. I, I grew up. I have a gym behind my parents' house. To this day, I still go down there and work out. I love the smell of it, the feel of it. I just love that working out of particular body muscle and then just seeing the development of it. I love the process of it. And, and through the years, I've had a lot of people, uh, a lot of my friends, especially in college years, say, I want to work out with you. I, I'd love to go down there with you and just, just uh, spend some time, learn, get bigger, grow stronger. And about 70% of the time, no one ever actually stays. Uh, I've 
of everybody I've ever worked out with, only a few actually still remains in the gym with me or somewhere. And why is that? They, a lot of people say, I want to work out. I want to get stronger. I want to become the biggest me, the best me, the best in shape me. Uh, and they buy all the protein shakes. They buy all the, the, the formulas. And they buy all the stuff, the equipment. But they don't realize that working out takes discipline. It, it, it takes you constantly being in the gym day after day, even when you're not feeling well. It's workout. I want to got to eat well. If you eat McDonald's every day, you're probably not going to get much stronger or healthier, right? And a lot of times these people just fade away. Why? Because they didn't count the cost before they got into it. And this is what Paul is saying here. Galatian church, you say you want to live under the law, but you yourself don't even understand what it means to live under the law. So what we're going to see for the next few verses is Paul's argument from the law itself that the law is slavery. So we see a historical argument and we see an allegorical argument. So let's start at the historical argument starting at verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this is based off, obviously, Genesis. I'm going to start at verse chapter 16 if you'd like to go there in general. But here's the, here's the if you remember the Genesis series that we had before Galatians and all this, um, Genesis chapter 11, there's one single unit of people. Every people group in the world was one people group back then. They all had the same language, the same tongue. They had the same purposes, same desires. And their desire, because of their pride, because of their own selfish ambitions, they want to build up their own name. We're one people group. We're united. Nothing can ever separate us. There's nothing greater than us. And we know that this is completely false of what God told the people. Go multiply, spread to the ends of this earth. They were completely in opposition of God's promises and God's uh, 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 declaration. He said, no, we're not doing that. We're going to be together. And we know in Genesis 11, God splits this whole single people group, and now they're separating the people groups, how we know today. There's different dialects. There's different tongues. There's all these different things. There's different peoples. And this is what's cool. Genesis 12, out of all these different peoples in the world, God singles out one single person in a pagan world named Abraham, and he says, I'm going to choose you to be the beginning of my new people, Israel, my new people, people I choose that's going to bear my name. And if you go all to Genesis 16, you see that within the promises God gives Abraham, he says in one promise that you will have many descendants, numerous as the stars in the sky. And we see this issue that Abraham is almost in his mid-80s. His wife's in her 70s. And physically, they're not able to have children. So in the midst of this, this chaotic situation, who's going to continue this, this spread of this new people of God? Sarah, the wife of Abraham, comes to him and says, I cannot bear you a child, so I'm going to give you my slave Hagar to marry so that she can bear you a child. So Abraham has a child with Hagar named Ishmael. And you go to chapter 17, Abraham says, okay, God, uh, you've actually fulfilled your promise. I have a descendant now. If you, ever, if you go back, you'll notice that God says, no, no, no. I promised you that you're going to have a son, and it's going to be through Sarah, your wife. 
And he laughs. He says, how can a 90-year-old woman give birth? How can a 100-year-old man give, have, a, have a child? He says, no, no, no. You, your man-made attempt to fulfill my promise is not sufficient. I'm going to fulfill my promise perfectly in my own way. That's what God says. So we see from this narrative that Hagar and Ishmael, the slaves, represent being born according to the flesh and or a man-made attempt to be made right in God's sight. And Isaac and Sarah represent being born through promise or God's own fulfillment of his promises. So notice verse 22 and 23 in Galatians that Paul does not focus on specific names. So in 22 it says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Paul has not mentioned specifically Sarah and Hagar. Why is that? It's because he is actually focusing on their social status. He just knows that Hagar is a slave, Sarah is a free woman. And for us today, that's spiritual significance. So, so this is going to be later on, but I'm going to say it now. In this sense then, Hagar represents the law. Sarah represents the gospel. So the law, or the man-made attempt, is seen as a form of slavery, while the gospel is seen as liberating. Are you with me? So today, in this room, there's two types of people. One type of person is a slave to sin in the world. We're born into slavery. We're born into sin. We're depraved. We have no hope. As we sang earlier, we're dead in our trespasses. And there's another person. And that person is free, blood-bought, grace-given, heaven-bound, spirit-renewed children of the King. So historically, we already see that God fulfills His own promises by the power of His Spirit and by the word of his own mouth. And I'll keep going. Verse 24, Paul uses the same context of Abraham and his two sons, and he uses an allegory to explain this further. It says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. So two terms I just want to, to make sure we're clear of, and I'm not smart like this, so I had to look this up myself this week. An allegory literally is a story which is a picture of a deeper meaning of truth. So, example, if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan is an allegory of becoming and living as a Christian. It's an example or illustration, so to speak, okay? The other side of it is typology. Typology literally is uh, an historical connection between the type and its fulfillment. So, for instance, Exodus all the way back in the Old Testament, Exodus actually points forward to Christ who, what, and what he accomplishes for us as Christians, to set us free from the slavery of sin. The reason I want to point that because you see both of these, both of these types in this, this text today. And I just want to encourage you and just remind us we're not free to allegorize the Bible ourselves. Why? Because we're depraved. We're sinful and we will, we will simply and easily get out of context if we're not careful, okay? But here's the truth. The Bible is allegorizing right now, and we can know its truth, and it's explaining it to us right now as we read it. So let's continue, verse 24. So these two women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. 
Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. So, Hagar, she, the slave, Hagar, represents the Old Covenant or the law, okay? But notice that it says that she also corresponds to the present day of Jerusalem of Paul's time. And how is that? Simply put, it's because the present Israelites of that time period, the Judaizers who came into the Galatian church, those who were still under the law of Moses, are enslaved spiritually, just as Hagar was enslaved physically. You with me? That makes sense? So here's the, here's the, here's, here's the point of this, this section. Paul here is declaring that the law of Moses, like Hagar, represents slavery. When it was given at Mount Sinai, immediately placed the people of Israel under the grip of what could be compared to bondage. And this was a practical question as I read this text this week. So back in Exodus, God is the one who gave the law to Moses, correct? God gave the law to Moses. If it's something from God, how can it then be slavery? Practical question. And I want to turn you to Galatians 3. Verse 10, to answer that question. Paul writes, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. So if you go through the whole narrative of the Old Testament, you look about your own life today, you realize very quickly that it is impossible. It's impossible for you and I to keep the law of Moses. To keep every little law in order to be righteous in God's sight is impossible from a physical perspective. Why? We are sinful. We fall short of God's glory every single day. I've been mesmerized reading through the Kings and all the way through Samuel and Kings and Chronicles because every once in a while you'll see a king that God says that he was pleased with. And halfway through their, their political career, they fall, they sin, they're rebellious, and they fall short of his glory. Isn't that just such a spiritual picture for us today? We, we can try to achieve everything. We can, it, we can walk the right path for a certain time period. And we can, oh, I've been reading my Bible every day. I've been doing all this stuff every day. And, and a couple months down the road, we fall. Why? Because we're sinful. And so now we're seeing how this is enslaving. It's like a, it's like a hamster on a wheel. It's always in a circle. Oh, I, did, I stand here so I can do this again. Oh, I stand here. I won't keep, it's just a cycle. It's a never-ending cycle. It's impossible to escape. Listen to me. It's impossible to do everything God requires in the law outside of Jesus. Jesus came to perfectly fulfill the law, and he did. It's impossible outside of Christ. But notice verse 26. So Paul notice, says that the law is represented by Hagar now we see the comparison with the new covenant, the gospel. Verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice all barren one who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the child of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So Sarah, the wife, the free woman represents the gospel here. Notice that, so when Hagar has Ishmael, Ishmael obviously is just like his mother, a slave. 
He inherits what his mother was. Notice the Sarah, free woman, the wife. When she has Isaac, what happens to Isaac naturally? She becomes free. Correct? So in the same sense today, listen to me, the gospel is from heaven. The gospel is from God. We saw that all the way back in Galatians 2. The gospel is from God. In the same sense today, the gospel and the gift of Christ is from heaven is in the very essence freedom. Listen to me. When believers are sealed by the Holy Spirit, they become then free. We're free citizens of heaven. We are not bound to the chains of this world, but are bound to the living God by this new covenant. Listen to this quote. The mother of believers here is not the church, but the heavenly Jerusalem, showing that believers in Christ... Both Jews and Gentiles are citizens of the heavenly city. Just as Sarah was the mother of Isaac, so believers are begotten in the new age of the Spirit. They are not slaves like the Judaizers, but free sons by virtue of the Spirit's work. And notice what Paul does here. He doesn't just stop there. If that wasn't enough, he quotes Isaiah 54, verse 1. And let's read this again. Rejoice, O barren one. Who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud. You who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So here's my question What is the context of the book of Isaiah? Who is Isaiah writing to in the midst of this context? It's to Jews in exile, correct? He's speaking to them, he's telling promises that God's given to these people. God's covenant people, he's promising certain things. And Paul, listen here. Paul is using this text as an, for his argument today. The law is slavery. The gospel is freedom. He's saying that the Gentile Christians in Galatia are the children of the Jerusalem above, for they are indeed the children of the barren woman from whom no children were expected. They have miraculously and supernaturally been given new life. Listen to this promise in Isaiah 54.10. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who is compassion on you. Paul here sees the fulfillment of this covenant of peace that God promised so many hundred years before that. He sees this fulfillment of this covenant of peace in his day. Paul is saying that the return of exile has arrived in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The ultimate fulfillment of this promise has become a reality, not in the physical return of Israel from exile, but the conversion of Gentile Christians in places like Galatia. So how do we apply that then? How do we apply this new covenant promise, this new covenant joy of freedom? How do we apply that? Paul writes, verse 28. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. But just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him, who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So I've got three practical, three fundamental truths that can apply to us today, that apply to the Galatians that time period. Number one, we like Isaac have been born again to a family of freedom through God's 
own hand. If you've been ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit today, you have been adopted into a family of freedom. Slavery has no hold on you any longer. You are God's precious children. You're not slaves to religion and flesh any longer. You are forgiven and liberated sons and daughters of God Almighty. We're free people, no longer in bondage. Number two, like Isaac, we can be certain that persecution will come our way as we follow Christ in our lives. So Paul in verse 29 references how Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. And in, in the same sense, he's saying that the Judaizers are persecuting the Galatian believers. Here's the point. Today, just as the Galatians then, persecution happens when you walk by grace and live in according to the word by faith. John 15, 18 through 21, Jesus says this. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Listen to this quote. When you start to live radically, by grace, it will cost you. Sure, it will cost you the outside world, but you'll receive the most trouble from the religious world around you. Persecution will come, brothers and sisters. Number three, we have been set free through Jesus Christ, and legalism should be removed in our lives. Notice verse 30 and 31. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So, this is, so like I said, Paul is using the law to prove a point about the law today in this passage. In the very essence, he is saying that the law itself is rejecting the law. The law is slavery. Remove it from your life. Galatian believers, be encouraged. You've heard the true gospel. This is the way to know God intimately and personally. Don't go back to this, this form of slavery that the Judaizers want you to be a part of. No, no, no. Get, get, remove it. Get it away. You are free through Jesus. In other words... God, through the work of Christ and applied by the Holy Spirit, is the one who makes a person righteous and adopted as a child of God, not by anything you do, Galatian church. So we see in Galatians 5.1 then that this incredible statement that Christ has set us free. I'm going to sing a song in just a few minutes that, that uh, I was fortunate enough to write, be a part of writing. And, and we just, me and two other guys, just sat and read Galatians 5, 1 through 15. And the bridge, literally verse 1, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 8. 
says, Jesus said to the Jews who have believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my true disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? This is what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Church, this morning we're free of two incredible things. We're free from slavery of self-justification. And we live in this world where you have to work to be successful. That's what we're told. The more you do, the, more, the harder you work, the more will come to you. And, and, and that's just a part of our DNA, right? I got good news for you. Your work is completely useless when it comes to salvation. <laughs> it's useless. Christ did all the work necessary for you to be saved, for you to know God personally and intimately this morning. You're free. Jesus liberates us from the bondage of self-help and self-pride and did all of the work necessary to justify our souls before a holy God. And then we're, listen to this, we're free from slavery of sin justification. If you go to Romans 5, you see that we all inherited a sin nature from Adam. Sin, Adam sinned all the way back in Genesis 3. It says that every single person now who was born after Adam receives that, that same inheritance, that sin inheritance that he gave, he, he received when he, when he rebelled against God. So all of us are sinners. We're rebellious sinners. But listen to this. Praise be to God. Jesus came to this earth, the only true perfect person who ever lived and walked on this earth. Jesus came to this earth he bore your condemnation that you deserved. He bore the wrath of God that you deserved on the cross. And as a substitution, when he said it was finished, that means now that you're forgiven. He places his righteousness on you. God now sees us ransomed, forgiven, redeemed, not by anything that we do, but through God's perfect, holy, righteous son, Jesus. He looks at Jesus and says, they're forgiven now. They're you. I love this quote by Martin Luther. It says, for as a wrath of God cannot terrify us, for that Christ hath delivered us from the same, so the law, sin, and death cannot accuse and condemn us any longer. You're not bound to sin any longer if you know Christ today. You have been liberated. You have been adopted you have been free through the blood of Jesus. So what? Two things for us. It's all in Galatians 5.1. First thing, stand firm in the freedom of Christ. Paul says, for freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore. You see, the Galatians had been freed by the gospel, so now they're being told to continue to stand firm in it. Do not waver from the true gospel. Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Paul writes, chapter 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, 
and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So uh, studying for this text this week, I uh, read this illustration. I'm not sure how historically accurate it is, but it sounded really good and I liked it. Um, back in Civil War times, when obviously slavery was still uh, rampant, rampant in, in this part of the area, obviously, um, uh, the story says that, that a man goes into a slavery auction and purchases a young lady. Says, and and they, they, they walk out of the place, so he owns her now. They walk out of the building, and, and the, the man just looks over and says, Young lady, today you're free. You're free today. And the girl is just perplexed. And, what? I'm free. So, sir, does that mean that I can say whatever I would like to say? And he looks at the young lady and smiles and says, absolutely. Say what you would like to say. Sir, can I do what I would like to do personally? Absolutely, young lady. Do what you would like to do. Sir, can I go wherever I would like to go? And he just smiles at her and says, yes, go wherever you would like to go. And the girl stares at the, the man and says, well, in that case, sir, I want to go wherever you go. You see, when, when we receive freedom in Christ, when you've been bought, purchased by Jesus, when you see the glory and majesty of all that Christ is, you taste that the Lord is good, there also comes then a Christ-centered dependency. You can't have enough of Jesus. I want to know Him. I want to sit in His presence. I want to enjoy Him forever and ever. My God, my Savior, my Lord, I want to know you intimately, personally, God. And I just want to give you four practical ways then of how to stand firm in Christ, how to stand firm in the gospel when temptation comes. Number one is preach the gospel to yourself each day. Make it personal. The perfect, holy, righteous Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to this earth. He died on the cross for me. He bore the wrath that I deserved. And through His perfect atoning sacrifice, I am now forgiven, I'm free, I'm saved. And when he rose from the dead, he gave me new life. Make it personal. Preach the gospel to yourself each and every day. The second thing, seek to grow in your love and knowledge of God. Paul says that don't be content with just being a, a baby Christian. Continue to seek to be mature, to grow in your faith. Seek to grow and know the Lord. The third thing, spend time in his word each and every day. And the fourth thing, enjoy his presence and worship every moment, every second. Enjoy the God who purchased you. He is satisfied in you. And God is most satisfied the more joy that you have in him. That's, that's beautiful. The second thing I just want you to hear, do not return to slavery. So for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. If you turn to Romans chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 15. Paul writes, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. 
Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So Paul is declaring this to the Galatians, he's declaring that to you today. If you've been saved by the grace of God, do not go back to slavery. That makes no sense. If you've been set free, why would you put yourself back into it? You can't make yourself right in your own part. And I'm talking to myself here. I so often, like, oh, man, I, I must not read as much as I should. And, and it's almost like I feel like if, if I'm not doing this, then God's not pleased with me. No. God's pleased with you because of Jesus. Nothing because of you. He's bought you. He's called you. He saved you. But I won't go to the other side. When I grew up, when I was growing up, I heard somebody say, well, I said this prayer, and, and I can just do whatever I want to now. Check mark. I'm going to live however. What's Paul say here? You're now slaves of righteousness. You have no purpose in sin any longer. God calls you his. He saved you. So I just want to encourage you. Walk in the middle line. Don't become legalist. Do not, I have to earn my way to salvation. Don't go to the other side. Oh, I can just do whatever I want to. No. You're God's. He's bought you with an incredible price. You're his ambassadors in this world. So in every area of your life, seek to follow Christ. Stand firm in the gospel, brothers and sisters. Let me pray. God, I, we just come before you. I thank you that your word is clear. But I thank you that you sent your perfect son, that you, you did not spare him, Lord, but you you sent him to die on the cross for us. He made the perfect sacrifice. He's now, through him, has placed us in right standing with you, Father God. So, Lord, we thank you for Jesus this morning. I pray for the person in this room who's still bound to slavery, who's still bound to this world, who's never tasted that you were good, for the believer in this room who's mature in their faith, who's growing in you, Lord, that had the tendency to, to fall back into legalism and, and, and try to earn your satisfaction, Lord, I pray today that you would free them. God, we pray that you would call people to yourself, that you would save souls, Lord, that you would make much of yourself And we thank you so much for the gospel, for the goodness of your love for us, Lord. May we give our lives for your sake. So normally uh, during response, uh, it's very easy to begin moving. Especially at 9.30, it's always if you go to, you have to be somewhere after the service and we have to rush to get there and you're moving around, all this stuff. Let me just say this as one of your pastors, as the main worship leader here. There's nothing more important on a Sunday morning than response time. 
because after the preaching of the word of God, you are simply responding to a revelation of who God is. That's what worship is, what you do when you sing. You see a revelation of who God is and you respond accordingly. And you don't know the person's story beside you. You don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know how the Holy Spirit's working in their life and dealing with them this moment. So I just want to encourage you as you stand to sing, to respond accordingly. Pray for those who don't know the Lord. If you do not know Jesus this morning as your Savior and Lord, I just encourage you. Repent and believe. Turn from your sin. Place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, for He alone can save. So I invite you now to stand with us in Jesus' name.